Hi, I'm Pat Kelly. And I'm Peter Oldring, and we're the hosts of This Is That. Are you kidding? For over a decade, we were radio's go-to source for completely fabricated news. You must be joking me. And now, we're back in podcast form. We've selected some of our favorite stories from over the years and put them in one convenient location. Sugar in the tap water. Bilingual dog park. Charging to see wildlife. This Is That, coming soon on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Today you're going to hear my conversation with the musician Ibrahim Malouf. I'm having a hard time describing how big this guy is in certain circles. So I was Googling and I found this quote from the magazine The New Yorker. Uh, They did a profile on Ibrahim. And I, I thought this quote summarized it pretty well. Ibrahim is a quote... Superstar in Europe, where he regularly sells out arenas. In American instrumentalist terms, he might be placed on a continuum between Kenny G and John Baptiste, closer to the former in fame and to the latter in style and critical respect. How great is that? And he sounds like this. That is some of the title track to Ibrahim Malouf's latest record, Capacity to Love, featuring Gregory Porter on vocals. Ibrahim is in his early 40s now, and a lot of our conversation, uh, especially the early part, focuses on his family. Uh, His father was a a legendary trumpet player, played Arab music and, and classical music, also weirdly a trumpet maker. Anyway, when Ibrahim's family fled from Lebanon to France in the 80s to escape the conflict, he talks about how music became a refuge as he adjusted to his new world. Ibrahim's new album is called Capacity to Love. It's his 17th. Uh, later this year, he's going to be in Canada playing some shows. And just a few weeks, he's up for a Grammy, his second nomination in a row. So why does Ibrahim Malouf's new album feature Sharon Stone and Charlie Chaplin? How did 9-11 lead to him becoming a trumpet player professionally? And why does his trumpet have four valves or like four buttons instead of three? That's where we started. Ibrahim Malouf, join me from Paris. Hi, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you. I really love listening to the record, but I kind of want to start somewhere basic just because I think most people, and I'm sure you might be tired of talking about this, but most people who are familiar with the trumpet the trumpet has three valves on it. You know, the, the, the classic Dizzy Gillespie, Louis Armstrong trumpet, three valves. Yours has four. Can you tell us what the fourth valve does? Yeah, first of all, I'm not tired to talk about it at all. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm really proud of this because it's um, my father's invention. Um, in the 60s, when my father arrived um, from Lebanon to Paris to study classical music, uh, at the Paris um, uh, National Conservatoire, he had in mind an amazing idea that would have sounded a little bit strange, uh, which was to be able to play quarter-tone scales and Arab scales on a trumpet, which was not possible before. And he had this dream 
to add a valve that would allow him to play the scales. L- let me just let me just stop you here. For, so for people who don't know, the, the Western scale that most people listening to this would be used to would be like, this is your major scale, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and there's, then there's semitones, like Jaws. But that's just the Western scale. There are a lot of notes in between and what's often referred to as quarter tones in between the tones and in between the semitones. So your dad comes up – I think I got that right. Your dad has finds a way with this fourth valve to be able to play those, those, sem, those quarter tones. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, most musics in the world, they actually include quarter tones, but we just don't know it. Jazz has quarter tones. Blues has quarter tones. You know, what we call the blue note is actually a heritage from Africa, which actually is a quarter tone. And and there are hundreds of cultures all around the world that include quarter tones. But the only one that excluded the quarter tones is the classical Western European classical music. Why? Because they needed to create harmony. But in order to be able to do harmony, you need to avoid the quarter tones. So uh, when Bach, when uh, Jean-Sébastien Bach created the the keyboard as we know it now, to be able to do the harmonies, they skipped, <laughs> decided to skip the the quarter tones. So my father, as a you know Middle Eastern musician uh, who wants to play. Uh, Middle Eastern music, Arab music, Lebanese music, um, had this dream to be able to play those scales on a trumpet. So when he arrived in France, he directly went to his teacher and said, you know, I have uh, this project. Would you help me uh, building my first quarter-tone trumpet? And Maurice André helped him. So I play this trumpet now as a heritage, you know. I um I listened to your your records to get ready for this interview. I also and I love them. And I also listened to your dad's records. Um and I mean what gorgeous music. He... Uh, my father is a genius. <laughs> you know he he. Um, I mean, if you listen to my father, there's no trumpet player in the entire world who plays like him. I mean, he's not, he's not a famous musician. Like, he never made it to the United States. Nobody knows about him in, in Canada or very, very, very few people in the trumpet world actually do. He, he's quite unknown, but he's a, a, he's a genius. I mean, he really invented a way to play trumpet that no one did before him and that no one did after him. He's unique. And I, I love what he invented. And actually what I'm trying to do is to take what he invented and try to do it on my own way, you know? Yeah. I, w- I want to talk some more about that, but let me just set up the, your story a little bit more. So you, you move uh, to France from, uh, you were born in Beirut in 1980. Your, your parents are musicians, as I mentioned that. You moved to France uh, when you were young. Your family's trying to escape um, the, the violence in Lebanon. Um, I said that thing in the introduction where I said that you've talked about music, you know, when you leave Lebanon, you come to France, it's a different culture, it's a different 
language. I mentioned you, you, you've said over and over again that music became a refuge during that time. Help me understand that better. How does music become a refuge during that time? Um, on many aspects, you know. Uh, first of all, the language. Uh, when my, you know, I, I was born in Beirut, as you said, the, the, the hospital was being bombed while my mother was giving birth. So there was a need for my family to escape as soon as possible. So when they went to France and to Paris, they were actually traveling you know, in and out between, you know, backward, for back and forth uh, between Paris and Lebanon. Uh, you know, in, in a civil war, the war is not all the time. You know, you have phases, like yeah. six months with no bombings, and then suddenly three months of bombings, and then nothing for a few days, and then again, you know. So they used to go back and forth, hoping that, you know, we would get back to our home one day. So they didn't teach us French until very late, you know. Uh, they actually te started to teach us to talk, to speak in French only when they had to put us in schools. They were trying to put it off because the hope they was they wouldn't have you know you wouldn't have to learn you could go home. Yeah, we we just wanted to you know most people think that uh, uh, refugees are happy to go to France or Europe or United States. But no, the truth is that most people don't want to leave their home, even if it's um, a poor country. They they love their countries, you know. <laughs> so so it's the same. I mean, my family, they, they wanted us to, to, to grow up in Lebanon, in our country, in our home, in our world, you know. So they didn't teach us French. So when I had to go to school, it was a struggle. I wouldn't understand anything of what people <laughs> tell me, you know, and say at school. So my refuge was to sing. Sing? Um, Not to play trumpet? Yeah. No, no, singing, first of what all. What were you I singing? I sing all the time. <laughs> yeah, just singing, just inventing music, you know. <laughs> okay, so you weren't singing like existing songs, you were... Yeah, just like humming, you know. Yeah, uh, instead of speaking. And, yeah. Instead of speaking with people around me and with my fr pot potential friends that weren't actually my <laughs> friends. <laughs> so, you know, so it started to be a refuge because I, I was feeling good with with music, you know. And uh, then slow by slow, music be started to become my thing, you know. So I used to play piano first and then trumpet. And then my friends at school, they were, okay, this guy doesn't talk so much, but when he plays piano, it's cool, you know? And it started to be like like my thing to be a musician. And and then I started to do concerts with my father at a very, very early age. At, at the age of eight and nine, I started touring with my father and playing classical music. playing Vivaldi, playing Bach, playing Albinoni, and also playing Arab music. So I had some, something of my, my identity was all about music. You, you would have been forgiven, given that your dad is an is, uh, you know, incredible genius musician, as you mentioned. You would have been forgiven for not wanting to play the trumpet. What I mean by that is it would be understandable given that mm. your dad is so such a legendary trumpet player, such a great trumpet player, that you would choose another instrument besides the trumpet. Oh, oh, for the pressure you mean, because of the pressure. He he was he was uh 
a great teacher, you know. He made me love this instrument. Um, he also pushed me uh, a lot, you know. Um, you know, I mean, a, a child doesn't really like to practice, <laughs> you know. But when the teacher tells you, you're, you're so good at it, you're really good at it. Keep working on, you know, like when, when he cheers you up all the time and, and the fact that he actually brought me with him to play concerts in a duet, even though I was nine, you know, <laughs> that meant to me that he trusted me. And, you know, the trust mm. of your teacher or of your parents mm. is huge because it gives you so much self-confidence, you know. What was he like in in lessons? I mean, I've heard you talk that he was kind of a strict dad growing up. What was he like in your lessons with him? He, he was very, very strict besides music. Like oh. everything, everything that was not about music, he was... He was terrible, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> you know, and he was very, very strict and sometimes too much and sometimes way too much. Um, but when it was, when it comes, when it, when it, when it was about music, music saved him. So he really wanted me to value the importance of music in my life as much as it was important for him. S saved him from what? Misery, you know, my father, my, my father's life, you know, when I'm taking, when I'm talking about my father, I mean, you can hear how much respect I have for his mm -hmm. life. And when I'm telling he's a genius, he's really actually a genius, you know, he's not, it's not just a phrase. He's really a genius. Mm -hmm. um, my, when my father in, arrived in, in Europe, in France, in, in the 60s, he was 23. He didn't know anything about classical music. He didn't even know how to play trumpet. He didn't speak French. He didn't have money at all. He was a farmer in the Lebanese mountain and he actually left Lebanon because he was <laughs> he was um sad because his lover left him. So it it, it was it just a, a new start and 7 years later he actually reached the highest level of classical music in Europe. In seven years? I mean, people, people spend 20, 30, 50, 60 years trying to get to that level. I know. <laughs> I, always, I, I always say to people that, that my father's life is like a Hollywood movie. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, you know, when, when people tell you that uh, North America, you know, uh, is like a place where you, your dreams can come true if you work hard and da, 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 da. But actually my father, um, he, he really um, made his dream come true in France. So music saved him from misery. I know what you mean now. Like, he, he, you know, he, he didn't have much yeah. before music. He, did, he, didn't, he, he didn't have anything. He barely had anything. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. I'm chatting with Ibrahim Malouf, the acclaimed French-Lebanese trumpet player. One of the things Ibrahim is known for is pushing boundaries with his music. He's someone who gets a lot of attention for making work that, you know, def defies genre. But I wanted to know when that pathway started for Ibrahim, because he came up in classical and traditional Arab music. And, you know, his dad being as famous as he was, he could have easily gone down that route. I asked how he got interested in other kinds of music. Take a listen. Um, 
my, my ears and my eyes uh, started to look around, <laughs> you know, classical music and Arab music when I was eight, nine years old. Oh, wow. Um, I remember my mother, she, you know what a tombola is? Tombola? Oh, like a raffle, like a raffle? Yeah, like like uh, she was. My mother was when I was eight years old. She was at the supermarket, and they were like just offering things if you buy a little ticket and you can have a chance. Yeah, it's like, like a, a raffle, lot of, a lottery, or something like that. Yeah, a lottery. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. At this, lottery, I thought it was an instrument was, you were talking about. I was like a tumbler. Like, is that, that, how many valves does that have? <laughs> I love that. Um, no, she, yeah, at the the lottery at the supermarket of our little town, she won a vinyl. And uh, she came with this vinyl, and it was uh, Smooth Criminal, the single track of Michael Jackson's Bad Album. So I didn't know anything about pop. I didn't know anything about anything else but classical music and Arab music, you know. So she arrived, and I loved the cover, you know, with uh, lots of colors and Michael's face with this uh, little hair here. And I was like fascinated by, oh, who is this man? You know, so I played the vinyl and as soon as the music started, my body started to dance. <laughs> and there's like, it's like a new language that entered home. So when this music started to be played in our, in our home, um, the door was open to all kinds of musics, to jazz, to pop, to rock, to hard rock, to gypsy music, to Indian music, anything, anything I could learn from outside, I was bringing it home. And so music, my music is education, of course, is classical music and Paris Conservatoire and Arab music and all those, uh, you know, classical Arab, Western and Eastern musics. But I always loved all kinds of musics from all over the world. I've always loved this. And I used to compose music all the time when I was young, from, from the age, you know, from a very, very, very early age. A lot of the music that I actually produce now and I, I release now was actually composed when I, when, when I was a kid. So um, music was really everywhere. But when I was young, I wanted to be an architect. So um, I wanted to rebuild Lebanon and Beirut. I, I, I was, you know, this kid who saw his country being completely destroyed by war so i had this little dream to you know rebuild my country so i wanted to be an architect and i and i kept this in mind until the 20 years old 20 21 years old and um unfortunately i have to mention this horrific drama at 8:45, hijackers crashed an airliner into the north tower of the world trade center in new york just 20 minutes later a second plane plowed into the south tower smoke and flames shot above debris and the doomed fell below when 9 11 happened i was actually um in in paris and i was already preparing since six months for a competition that was supposed to happen near Washington at George Mason University. An architecture uh, competition or a... A music, a, a music trumpet co competition. Okay, trumpet competition, yeah. And in the meantime, uh, I had 
um, graduated in scientific and math studies to go towards architecture. So when 9-11 happened, I was really feeling vulnerable. Like, okay, so my dream to rebuild Lebanon, I, you know, I used to draw the Twin Towers in my room when I was a kid, and I was, my, I, I was dreaming of rebuilding these kind of towers in Beirut, you know? So when, when 9-11 happened, there's something that was completely uh, destroyed in my dreams in the same time. So I said to my mother, I'm going to go to Washington uh, and do this competition and I'm going to go to New York. And if I win the competition, it's maybe a sign that I should go to music towards music, you know, and and towards trumpet. If I lose this competition and if I go to New York and if something happens in my mind there, I maybe will go and, and try to reach this dream of architecture. I don't know what's going to happen. So, I went, I remember I went to Washington. I w- that was on actually six months exactly day to day after 9-11. Yeah. Six months exactly. I did the competition. I won the competition. Mm-hmm. Then I went to New York. I visited Ground Zero. I, start, I remember I started to cry there. And my decision was taken. Because I was not going to be an architect anymore, <laughs> you know, because because people can actually destroy buildings. Oh, you know? wow. That's the only piece I was missing was why did 9-11 ruin the dream of architecture? But because you had dreamt of rebuilding your country that you were forced to leave and rebuilding Lebanon, which had been bombed. And the Twin Towers were the sign of like something that cannot be destroyed. The sign of like, of I am going to New do York. that. New York. Yeah. New York. Yeah. Uh, for for an Arab like me, for a Lebanese, Middle Eastern like me, I mean, New York is untouchable, yeah, you know? Yeah. And those Twin Towers represented for me the climax of what being untouchable can be, <laughs> you know? And, for, and, and not only for me, for, for most people in this, on this world, you know? So to see, to see those towers fall down the way they did, to see the death again, to see... In New York, and and the fact that when you are at ground zero and to actually touch this with your fingers, like with your hands, yeah, you know, yeah. and see it so close, I mean, something changed in me. I, I mean, I was definitely another person. And instead of, and this is what I said to my family and to my mother, I said, when I took the decision to become a, a musician instead of being an architect, I said to my mother that instead of building the environment in which you are when you are living, I will try to build an environment in which you live when you have your eyes closed. You're trying to build like an interior life for people. The, the place where you dream. This is something that nobody can, can destroy, right? Nobody can destroy your dreams. They can change your dreams, but I mean, a dream remains a dream. I want you to know All of our plans will still be there when you get better And I want you to know that I understand And I'll hold your hand till you get back to me again Talk to me, don't worry, 
fifth album, Capacity to Love. You're listening to Ibrahim Malouf with Back Home featuring J.P. Cooper. Coming up, listening to Ibrahim's music, I feel like you hear this kind of mission. I know that's vague, but I said it to Ibrahim and he saw what I was talking about. So that's coming up. Plus, we talk about how Sharon Stone and Charlie Chaplin ended up on this record and, and what they have in common. After this, on Q. I'm Candice Lim. And I'm Rachel Hampton. We are the hosts of ICYMI, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And we want to help you make sense of the need-to-know internet stories of the week. Consider us your internet historians of past, present, and future. Of the good, the bad, and the truly unhinged. From nuanced takes on stories we're all closely following to the ones you wished you heard about. In case you missed it, that's ICYMI, the podcast that's extremely online, so you don't have to be. Follow and listen now. In a concert, if people who don't think like me come to my shows, there's a little chance, even if it's a little tiny chance, they might say, well, I have to think about it, you know? I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q, and you're in the middle of my conversation with Ibrahim Malouf, the acclaimed French-Lebanese trumpeter who went from living in his father's shadow to playing arenas all over Europe. Ibrahim's latest album is called Capacity to Love. This part of our conversation has to do with the first thing you hear when you press play on the, on the record. The first thing you hear is not his trumpet. The first thing you hear isn't even music. I wanted to ask him about that and the idea of there being a mission to his art and these things kind of intersect. Here's the rest of my conversation with Ibrahim Malouf. Like I hear a mission there. I hear it's about more than just the, the notes. I mean, just take for right off the bat, you start the record and it's a speech from Charlie Chaplin and it's not like a funny speech from Charlie Chaplin. It's his speech from the great dictator. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Why did you want to start your record with that? We want to live by each other's happiness, not by Um, Well, you're right. I mean, I've always felt that I was in some kind of mission. You know, it's not the, it's not, it, th- this album is my 17th album. You know, it's, 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 uh, and I've always tried to reach the same message, but in different ways every time. When I, when I work on Illusions, my fifth album, Illusions, it's all about love. When I when I do Khartoum, which is a tribute to Um Khartoum, the the big the, the most famous Arab singer, the Egyptian diva, I'm I'm playing it in a jazz way with a, with a jazz quintet with Larry Grenadier, Clarence Penn, Mark Turner. Mm-hmm. 
I'm, I'm trying to show that Arabs and Americans share exactly the same values. I'm trying to do it. But the more I go with time, the less I'm feeling that the message is clear. Because we are, at, we are living in times where people are expecting you to be saying very clear messages. Po- poetry is not so fun anymore for people. Like people don't like poetry. No, not, not so many people read poetry. So, po- <laughs> you know, poetry is, is, is like something you do, but like nobody really gets it sometimes. So the message has to be very clear. And that's why this album, Capacity to Love, wasn't, it's not poetry anymore. It's very clear. We need love. Full stop. Period. We need love. That's it. <laughs> and, and Charlie uh, Chaplin's speech is all about love. And it, it, it's, it's a speech he, he, he dared to expose to the whole world on one of the saddest times of this world. <laughs> and he was uh, shouting out as loud as he could, we need love, you know? So, so I, I desperately need love. And I think this world desperately needs love. And what's happening now in Europe or in the Middle East is again a proof that we will never shout enough and loud enough how much love we need. You have a great belief in music's power, don't you? Oh, I, I believe only in music. I mean, music is my religion. You know, when, when, when you are facing, I don't know, like thousands of people, like a few a month ago, I was playing in the biggest arena in Paris, okay? Um, so it's like 20,000 people approximately. Um, it was packed, sold out show. All kinds of people from all kinds of religions, uh, all ages, uh, poor, rich, we don't care. We are all together having fun, singing, dancing, sharing the same values. Is there any politician who actually made this? <laughs> no, only musicians and singers and you know and and orchestras can actually reach this. So that's why I really believe that music is more powerful than anything else. Well, that makes sense. Something else I was going to ask you about, which was I heard you say something like, I want all kinds of people to come to my shows, even and maybe especially people who don't agree with me. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, because, you know. um, Or people who don't believe in the same things as me. That's what it was. People who don't believe in the same things as me. Look, I I really believe in uh, the the, um, power of dialogue and debate. You know, if we can debate, it's the first step to agree. If we don't, there's no chance that we agree, right? So it's like in your, it's like in a couple. I mean, if two people who live together 
who have to, you know, re- solve problems together. If they don't talk, that means it's the end, right? But if they talk, even if they have to argue, and sometimes arguing can be really annoying and and you really get really you know annoyed and 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 angry but you've been exchanging and and that means there's hope you know so for me it's exactly the same um in a concert if people who don't think like me come to my shows there's a little chance even if it's a little tiny chance that at some point they might say or at least think well i have to think about it you know mm, just that little bit of space that little yeah. that little tiny bit of room of maybe i'm wrong maybe maybe I, maybe, maybe 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 and that's the first step yeah. you know that's the first step um, uh, um, it's been great talking to you. Um, uh, before we say goodbye, I realize I promised something in the introduction that I didn't, I didn't ask you about. Uh, so I'll just quickly ask you about this before I go. So I, you know, when I, when I look at the, when I really love listening to the record and I, we mentioned, we heard the Gregory Porter track and, you know, Paws from De La Soul and Seema Funk is on it. And like a lot of, a lot of really great musicians, some I knew, some great musicians I didn't know. Sharon Stone, the actor, I was <laughs> I was surprised to see. Not because I've talked to Sharon Stone before. Love the way she talked to me about art. A very thoughtful, very brilliant artist, uh, but a movie star. How did that How did that end up happening? That she's on the record. Well, you said it. She's brilliant. She's uh, thoughtful. She's absolutely stunning. Every time she talks, you know. <laughs> And when I decided to start my album with with uh, Charlie Chaplin's speech, I and I knew instantly that this album had uh, a, a cinematic dimension, and through a very powerful speech of a man that is no longer here, but uh, you know whose powerful words uh, changed the world. So I was thinking that the best way to to end the album was to finish with a very strong speech of a woman who's actually still alive <laughs> and someone who comes from the cinema world so an I right. an icon so um when I when I um saw that she actually liked my music and she was actually posting things about my music on her uh, social medias and she was liking and commenting my posts and all this I was like oh wow that's crazy. So I have to talk to her and ask her if she would agree. And she actually agreed. And uh, I was the most uh, happy man on this world. Stop pushing. Stop pushing. Stop pushing. Stop pushing. Stop pushing us to the end. Yeah. Tell him, people. One wonders what will be your complete undoing. Is it that you don't remember? Well, I got to tell you, man, I got so much out of this conversation today. I learned I learned so much about music and music's uh, power and um, the, the, the tradition and progressivism and architecture. And listen, I just can't thank you enough. Thanks so much for making the time for us. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much.
amigos sinceros y pa' tuer con maldad. Rosa bendita, lo malo que el se va. Tiene la fe, pero tiene la che, tiene todos los colores y ninguno se ve. Rosa vino pa' todo el mundo, todo el mundo es igual. That's Ibrahim Malouf with his Grammy-nominated song, Toto Colores, featuring Tank and Debangas and Sima Funk. His latest record, which we were talking about, is called Capacity to Love, and it's uh, streaming now on Spotify and Apple Music, wherever you get your music. Uh, the, uh, speaking of music, speaking of streaming, uh, the other episode we have up today is one from the archives with Paramore's Haley Williams. I've been uh, following the news that Haley Williams um, from Paramore, one of the biggest pop-punk bands of all time, uh, kind of abruptly quit the internet, <laughs> abruptly quit social media, and everyone's trying to speculate why. Listening back to the conversation I had with her uh, about a year ago, I kind of get it. I mean, there's some clues in our conversation about why she quit the internet. You'll hear that if you go listen to our podcast. How's that for a sell? We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.